Do you have a name to your podcast, by the way? I, I don't really know what your podcast is. It's just is. Scott S. Nutter. That's what it's called. The Scott S. Nutter podcast? Yep. Okay. That's, that's it. The other one's Scott's commentary on the text. Yeah. Which spells out acrostically my name. Okay. Well, here we are tonight. Today, this afternoon. It's uh, January 9th, 2022. And I'm a good friend of Scott Nutter's, and I decided I want to interview him. I want to know what makes the brain tick under all that white hair. <laughs> yeah. Is it white? I thought it was it's gray. Get, well, it's going to turn white. My dad's yeah. hair is white. That's not a bad look, though. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. How long... Steve Martin has almost had been completely gray for 45, 50 years. You have to go back to like the early, mid-70s to see when his hair was not that gray. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what it does is it makes you look older than what you actually are. So you kind of are almost like future-proof. You look the same for like 30, 40 years. Yeah. You know, he's just now starting to look like he should have looked with that hair. So Yeah. So All he right. started around his 40s? No. Oh, when he grayed out? Yeah. No, he grayed out in his 20s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. Upper right. 20s, maybe? Yeah. I read his book. It was one of my first audiobooks. Um, anyways, they're not interviewing me. So, uh, where were you born? And when? Illinois, 1983. What, what part of Illinois? I can't remember. <laughs> you weren't, no. you weren't, you weren't <laughs> taking too many notes when you were born. <laughs> I wasn't really coherent back then. Why Illinois? Why There's, were your parents there? Yeah, Chicago. They, they grew up. They both grew up in Chicago. Okay. The Chicago area. My, my mom, uh, posed in Illinois. My dad in, uh, Burr Ridge, wait, mm-hmm. I think Burr Ridge. Burr Ridge, Illinois. Yeah, it's a ritzy place now. But how, how long did you stay there after you were born? We lived there for okay. So my dad was going to Bible College at Hiles Anderson College in Indiana, which is wasn't much of a drive, and um, they had me. And then about a couple of years later, uh, he graduated, and then he got his master's. Mm-hmm. And then they went to, uh, so about when I was four, we moved to Massachusetts for about a year and a half or two and then came back Okay. and lived there most of, you know, my growing up. We, we went to a First Baptist um, and my dad became the assistant pastor there and he also worked as a custodian and we were there for like seven years and then we moved to Oak Forest, Illinois, and then from there we ended up moving to Iowa for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, so you really hung out a lot in the Midwest. Yeah. I, after after we moved to Iowa, I was like, you know, and then then when they were moving back, and then then they moved to Michigan. I was going to uh, uh, college in Indiana, and I'm like, you know, I always hear about this place that doesn't really snow a lot and it's warmer and, but we're always moving laterally and now you guys are going to Michigan which is kind Actually, of in the wrong, north, yeah. wrong direction yeah, going the wrong way. it's like if you're going to move anyway you might right. as well move toward the warmth so um, my uh, so that was always in the back of my head to move south mm-hmm. when, when I could um, but that's that's where I grew up in Illinois uh, well, Chicagoland area specifically. It's the big, long suburbs. What is the most traumatic experience that you can recall as a child? Like, wow, well, my it's first, like my crystal first clear. One, my first one was when my dad and I were racing with the uh, bikes coming back from, I don't know, we went somewhere for fun. 
and uh, we were racing going back into the driveway but it was a gravel driveway and I didn't quite understand physics and I thought well one thing I do know about physics you take the shorter route and you don't go wide and go in right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well my dad went wide and went in I'm like here's my here's my uh, this is how I'm gonna win and I went right over those handlebars yeah. and I busted my lip and uh, they my dad told my mom I'm gonna take him to the emergency room blood was gone how old were you Seven, maybe six, seven, somewhere around there. And uh, they, they take me there and they, they just stitched me up there. And then I'm walking out in the parking lot and I'm like, I'm still alive. That's what I said. Like, of course, you're still alive. But if I didn't know, yeah. hospitals where people die, you yeah. know. So, but I had a scar and probably still do uh, on my lip for the longest time. You could even see it in maybe some picture. Yeah, we have pictures of big old stitches hanging out of my lip. Do you think that in your young mind that you were, uh, that was a brush with death, even though in reality it wasn't, and that's why that memory sticks with you? It like imprinted on your memory? It was like, yeah, I, I don't know why I thought like that was, you know, I was surprised that I was alive, but I, you know, I didn't really think of death much, but it definitely it was the first real trauma that I remember physically. Okay. And uh, how old were you when you decided that you wanted to join the military? I was in Iowa, and my dad encouraged me to because he was afraid I was just going to hang out after after high school, and he wouldn't know how to get rid of me. Do you think that was a legit fear? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was the first kid, and this is a brand new thing for him. And he's like, all right, well... I need to get this kid on track, and so he encouraged me to join the military. Now, in my thinking, the military was going to be the conduit for me to pay for college, mm -hmm. and it was. And um, let me just check. Okay. Um, at the other reason, the secondary reason was for um, to build character and confidence and all that stuff. But then when I went to drill, I looked around at these guys, and they were not the epitome of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's strange. They went through basic, and this is how they are now? It's yeah. weird. You know? yeah. the, I thought it was a life-changing experience. And here these guys were just, they weren't going anywhere in life. You know? So I knew that... I had to get out of basic what I put into it, and that's what I strove to do. And I, I went from 123 pounds to 143 pounds, uh, 145 when I had a full stomach. Mm -hmm. I, I, I tipped the scale one time that, that way. And actually, the way I weighed myself was uh, I went into an area I wasn't supposed to go into, but I made sure the drill sergeants weren't there because I really, this was something I was... And uh, I stayed one... Well, and then I... Uh, after that, I... I uh, went to uh, our first drill for three weeks. I was in the Mojave Desert in California. How old are you right now at that point? 18. 18? Okay, so you're really young. Yeah, and I, I lost most of that weight, and I stayed about 135 the rest of my life until a couple of years ago. Okay. And what year was that? 2001 is when I joined. So pre-9-11 or post? No, uh, I joined the month before... <clears throat> September 11th. So you well, were in August. 
technically, yeah, yeah, it was August. They backdated it to July, but I, I, I literally joined in on okay. August. A month later, 9-11 happened. People are like, what did you get yourself into? I, I didn't really, I'm like, what, some buildings fell. What's the big deal? I've seen buildings fall on YouTube, you know? Yeah. So I didn't really comprehend, no, these are like the biggest buildings in the world that just fell. This is not like your, you know, 15-story high building that they demolished. They, there were people in these buildings. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, and, and you know, so I, it didn't really... But I didn't end up getting uh, activated until about a year and a half later after into college. Okay. Um, and uh, then I, I got a break from college. So were you scared when you got activated and they tell you you're going to go to Afghanistan? Yeah, I didn't really sleep well that, that night. Yeah. I get a call from the supply sergeant. He, it, well, actually, he left a message. I didn't get it because I, uh, uh, I was in class. I get back to my dorm room and he say, Hey, guess who's going to Afghanistan? And it's not me. Oh. He, he stayed wow. behind. I'm like, what a nice. jerk. His nice. dad is like, he should have. Well, uh, years later, he ended up going to, back to Afghanistan, but I, was, I didn't have to. And his dad's like, yeah, you should call him, leave a message. Uh, guess who's going to Afghanistan? It's not me. So I could have done that, but I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be a jerk. But oh well. So, uh, what, 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 you know, and I've never been to Afghanistan, but like, what. What, you, what strike? What struck you the most about being there? Coming from Iowa, obviously, so you go literally totally different world, and you're at war in a foreign land where you know there's people that want to actively kill you. Of course, you're not you're not alone. Obviously, you got a lot of people there. But what are you thinking when you're on the ground? You know, actually in Afghanistan. Yeah, the first moment we get out of the plane, we get into these uh, trucks in the back of these trucks that have benches on the side that you're supposed to sit your butt in the benches. But what do they do? They say, all right, now everybody sit in the middle and face outward for security purposes. I'm like, well, then why didn't they design this to do that? This is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. But doing that was like when we were going on to there, we, we, were, we were in transit there from vehicle to from plane to vehicle and all that. They had a perimeter around of security. Now, how much then did they actually need that security? Probably not much, but psychologically it was like, oh God, we are, this is it. This is not training anymore. We are here. And it happened to be during a time that was probably the most peaceful time out of the 20 years or one of them. Um, and uh, we did, uh, in the battalion or the brigade battalion, we did lose four um, people that uh, ran over a Russian landmine. A Russian land from the previous occupation. Yeah. Wow. So they didn't even get attacked by Taliban or Al Qaeda or anything. This was this was a, a leftover gift from Russia. Wow. And um, yeah, four of our people died. Or the, yeah, I didn't know them, but it was a like an officer, a sergeant, and uh, you know uh, maybe a couple of specialists. So those people that died. Uh, are they just, you know, back there in the past of your mind? Or do, you know, here you are in 2022, 2021. Do you ever think about those people? No, but when it happened, well, I was scheduled to go to Bagram that day. And that the last time I talked to my dad, I was going to go to Bagram Air Force Base. And that thing happened. My that, that trip was canceled. And 
Nobody could make any phone calls until those people got their calls. They didn't want this news to get mm. to those families except directly. So they cut off our ability to communicate. Meanwhile, my dad sees on the news that four people died in Afghanistan around the same place that I was supposed to be going out. And it was just a very traumatic experience for him. He thought that's probably him, you know, because of all the hundreds of thousands of people there, he thought but I was, of those four. It, it was a convoy. They were right. doing their stuff. You know, the details were dissimilar, but, you know, it, it could have been. How long were you in Afghanistan? A year. How long were you in the military for total? Nine years. Nine years, really. So when did you get out? 2000. Had to be 2010, 10, right? 10, yeah. 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 So, do you regret going in the military or do you think it was good for you? The first six years were great. I enjoyed the training. After I got back from Afghanistan, it was just a joke. It was like, okay, I've already been there. So this training stuff is just play. Mm. I'm kind of over it, you know. So there was a two-year period where, uh, you know, I got out of the military. And I remember that day, I I walked away. I had it made. I had a lawn business. I was just about, you know, through with college. Um, Things were were turning out. I didn't need the military anymore. Mm. Then 2008 happens, and by 2009... I don't have a business anymore, and uh, I, I'm having financial trouble, and so I joined the Army Reserves in Illinois to try a year program to, to figure out what I was going to do to try to survive. Um, that was kind of a waste of time, but it was some money, you know. And then uh, I transferred to Michigan National Guard, and that was just wasn't a good experience at all. Uh, they. We were supposed to be activated. I wanted to get activated to go back overseas. I desperately needed it financially. And it just was delayed and delayed and delayed. Meanwhile, I'm just like living with my sister and her husband. Uh, I'm working at a a factory. I'm not making any progress financially. Are you you miserable? Yeah, I'm just like, this this is like, okay, I don't see a future, but I'm trying. Mm -hmm. This is my pathway to try to get a hold of life. I'm a college dropout at this point uh, because I, I figured out, you know, college just, just wasn't for me. Uh, as, you know, so, so I'm just like, you know, well, maybe dropping out was a mistake. Maybe God is punishing me for, uh, you know, not continuing with the college. And um, then they finally get activated and the sergeant is just, an unbearable narcissist, kind of. He he was a very principled guy that was respectable, but it was just he demanded so much respect. You you if you didn't say sergeant all the time and talk the the right way, which you kind of drop after you get out of basic. It's the National Guard, mm-hmm. okay? We don't talk unless you're in a serious situation and you're correcting somebody or something. When you're talking serious, you you switch over to the vernacular. But he was very, it, it was overbearing for me. And I actually had an emotional breakdown by the end of the day. I, I, I held it together. And by the end of the day, I'm like, I just, I don't think I can do this. 
And I told him I broke down. I, th I said, I, I think I need to talk to the chaplain. I, I just, I can't manage this stressful environment. Mm -hmm. And so I met with the chaplain. They ended up moving me to a much better situation, for, I thought. And they, they put somebody else over there. Um, and then President Obama cut back the troops, got out of Iraq, and they cut our forces down. And then um, I was like, all right, well, I have two MOSs. I'm a, an infantry and I'm supply specialist. At this point, I have an expert shot and marksman. I'm at an excellent physical condition. I have very high scores there. In fact, my highest score was three from the maximum score. Uh, out of 300, I got 297. I'm like, I need this. I'm probably going to get it. And they, they finally get to the list, and I was cut from the mission. Mm. And they, they even sent, hand, handed out these papers, if you want to go, go, you know, write this. And it was all complete baloney. There was, there was no correlation between the people that actually wanted to go and actually went. So my breakdown, but it was a controlled breakdown, was like a week before that happened. If I could have held it together, maybe I would have gone. But it, it turned out well because I ended up eat, meeting my wife and um, getting married. And so out. at this point in your life, would you say that you had not experienced a lot, as an adult, a lot of success? Oh, it was just downhill. Was it, this was one of... So there was three devastating moments that happened within about a year, maybe 18 months at the most. I got evicted from Indiana, which is why I... Uh, from the whole state? No, no, from <laughs> where I was in Indiana. Okay, okay. Rightly so. I wasn't able to pay rent. Oh, that's another story. I, um, I was renting from one of my customers. They had a studio apartment. Um, guy I was living with, my, uh, my adopted grandmother and her husband. She had passed away. I was renting from them. I wasn't really able to pay rent there, and so eventually he's like, it's time for you to find another place, and he should have, you know, it's the right thing to do. But he, then when he found out I was getting another place for about the same money, he's like, you can't pay rent here, how are you going to pay rent there? I'm like, well, the summer's starting up, I'll be able to pay rent for a while. Well, uh, my lawn business collapsed because of equipment failure. And somebody was not following my instructions. I couldn't afford him anyway, but he kind of talked me into hiring. That's another story. But uh, anyway, I get this job at a um, Amazon uh, Amazon subsidiary, do, you know, organizing books and stuff like that for three weeks. For three weeks, I'm going to this job, but I'm not getting paid. I figured, well, at least I'll get paid by the end of the three weeks, and then. They said, we're going to mail it to you. It's going to take a couple of weeks. <laughs> so three more weeks go by. I had been a little bit ahead on my rent because, you know, I'm like, hey, it's kind mm -hmm. of important to pay rent. So, But by six weeks, I'm behind on my rent. They're asking me, and I'm like, hey, I did the work. I'm waiting on this check. It's not coming. But I, I, was, saved. I was using the money that I had to eat. You know, I was yeah, managing right. yeah. it that way. So they saw me driving and eating. And then, you know, I was working for a while, but then I wasn't. And they're like, where's the money? You know, you can eat and all this stuff, but you, you can't pay rent. It's like, <laughs> that's because I'm prioritizing this stuff. I know I can't pay the rent. 
Um, I finally get the check a couple of days after they served me eviction papers. I get this like, I don't know, several hundred dollars, pl plenty to, to pay rent and, and, and stuff. But now I'm, I have to move. I can't, I, I felt like I can't give you the money now. You're telling me to leave. So, mm -hmm. I, uh, so I ended up packing everything in my truck. That was a very, that, that was the first in the domino. And um, I felt like there's just no, there's no place for me in this world. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I can't find a place for me to exist in this world. I didn't want to live back with my parents. I felt like good grief. I'm like at this point 26, 27, and like I can't live with my parents. Stacy says, "Well, we have a room we could rent out to you." And so I uh, move in with her. And then then the second one was when I I got cut from the mission. I had moved out, and uh, now I'm sitting there after that that night that they I was on that list. And I was like, what am I going to do now? This was it. This was the answer. Mm -hmm. Going overseas, tax-free money. I'm going to be able to save $35,000 tax-free. Now what am I going to do? I don't have a car because I liquidated it. I have just enough money to... I mean, if I, if I bought a car, I wouldn't have any money left. You know, $1,500, $1,800 or whatever. I'm stuck. Well, I ended up living with my brother. So I'm the oldest kid. I've lived with two other siblings. Just like... So, so any, any ego that you may have had was like torn down. Yeah. So, oh, I forgot one. The middle one between those two, I was living with my sister and I uh, applied and got a job at um, Planet Fitness. And they fired me after two days. Why? Well, I, they said I wasn't a good fit. Mm. Of course I wasn't a fit. I, I used to have employees, and here I'm folding T-shirts, and I wasn't really... I, it was all I could do not to just cry mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm folding these T-shirts, and they could see my countenance, and I, I didn't really feel like talking to anybody and stuff like that. This was a huge defeat. I'm getting paid minimum wage doing this stuff, and I'm like, I don't know how, how I'm going to get... So that was three of those. The last one was getting cut from the mission. That was the big one. Because, and it, it's all three. It, it's like the first one was I got evicted from the place. The second one was I got, I got fired from a minimum wage job for folding t-shirts. How do you do that? I don't know, but I did. You found a way. I found a way after two days. And then I got cut from a mission I was fully qualified for. And like, this is unbelievable. So ever since I've known you, uh, especially the last three or four years, and I, we didn't, we there was a period of time there where we didn't talk that much, not, not intentionally. We just, you know, yeah. we kind of moved, moved away. Yeah, you moved away, and we just, you know, I honestly can't even remember how we reconnected, but uh, you know that that's just part of life that happens. But you always, uh, you're real inquisitive and. Uh, you're very interested in finance and uh, for the longest time stock market or, you know, and I, I can kind of see you in the last year or so kind of growing and looking at other ways to bring in money and invest and all that. 
So where where does that come from? Is there anyone else in your family that, you know, oh, your uncle was a banker or he had a stockbroker, you know, cousin or whatever? Where does that desire to uh, not just earn money but build wealth, where do you think that comes from? Well, there's two answers to that. One, I was always interested in stuff that was economic. I didn't know it at the time, but we would play these little games with uh, business and stuff like that, and it really fascinated me. So the seed was already there, but it didn't really flourish, in, uh, especially until I was a college dropout. And the insecurity, the, the weight of that stigma was so heavy that I just decided I'm going to read books. I'm just going to continue my own education. And one of the first things I did was, well, I was in the process of losing my lawn business because this thing called an economy that was bad, a bad economy. I was like, I don't know what an economy is, but I better figure out what a bad one is. And uh, so I went to the thrift store and I found a book uh, called Macroeconomics. And uh, it was like 800 pages. And I thought, well, macro, that seems like the one I need to pay attention to. Uh, so I, I read most of it because some of that stuff I, was incomprehensible mm -hmm. to me at the time. But I read what I could, and I just fell in love with economics. And I kept reading books after books after books uh, about that. But I, I soon expanded. my One of my second books on economics was... Uh, um, the the history of money, the uh, the ascent of money by uh, Neil Ferguson, okay. and that was just fascinating monetary policy. I mean, this has got to be the most boring subject within the subject of the boring subject of the dismal science, which is economics. But I just I love it. So up until that moment, you did you even know that you were interested? You know, when you started, you picked up that book, Matt. You you, you know you could have gotten ten pages in and just go, this isn't for me. And close the close the cover, but was that like an awakening for you, as far as oh this actually makes my brain turn I on. really liked it. I don't remember specifically, but I I think well. In the meantime, I have felt and I have developed a a feeling of duty. It is my duty to continue to learn. Now I, it's attached to my identity now. I am the guy that should know more about economics than anybody I know, mm. you know, um, just because that's my responsibility. Why? It's because I made it so. You've taken it upon. Yeah, and, and that's my challenge. Um, so it's morphed into, but it's still, I still love it. I'm listening to something that's about artificial intelligence, probably my fourth or fifth book on the subject and automation and all that stuff and I've, I've heard the different sides of it whether it's going to be a big problem or it's not going to be a problem at all or or whatever mixture in between uh, this one tends to warn us that it's going to be a colossal problem mm. um, but there's going to be pros and cons um, so yeah that that began my journey and in, in history and science one of the early books that really rooted me in the cosmology was a book called Hidden Reality mm. by um, Brian Greene and uh, I read that book over and over again at least three times uh, one of the chapters, I mean this stuff hurt my brain it was like incomprehensible stuff but that's all I had. One of the benefits of having Audible, and you can only have one book a month and you're broke and you mm -hmm. can't buy more, is that you better get a good one mm -hmm. and it better have enough hours in there and I might as well try to learn it. You know, So it really, uh, I really dug down into that. And, 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 and so I expanded from 
What was interesting about the economics thing is that I was already interested in finances, especially personal finances. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I was interested in the stock market right before I got the economy one. I think, what was it before or after? But anyway, the, the, at one point I recognized that the, the order in which I learned that stuff was in just the exact right order that I should have learned it to build up to that. Um, and so I learned about, yeah, finance. I was interested in the financial stuff at college even. And I went to uh, the extra classes that the church provided. Mm -hmm. I forgot what they called it, but it was basically free classes about real estate. I went to that as well. That's how I met the guy that uh, had 20 properties for me to go cut and build that lawn business from nothing to 200 within two years. That was mostly because of that. Um, but yeah, as for who in my family is curious like that, I don't know. Really? I mean, my, my uncle's pretty smart. My dad uh, um, is more uh, stick to the Bible type uh, in, in the, the independent Baptist way. Even though, ironically, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Yeah, and economics, too. Yeah. That's one of the things I'd like to pursue is to show, you know, when God set up his uh, nation, what, what did he do? You know, I did the thing on Joseph's economy, mm -hmm. basically. Joseph's bailout program. And it's really showing the aspect of how he transformed Egypt's economy and what 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 were those implications what, what kind of economy was that uh, does that necessarily mean that it's endorsed by God no but you know uh, some a lot of Jews probably think that Joseph was a sellout to mm -hmm. Pharaoh because um, because he, he basically did all that stuff for Pharaoh even though it did help um, everybody but not too long ago, we were talking on the phone, and it was honestly it was in the last week. We were, you talked about you know what would I do if I hit you know certain you know financial benchmark where I didn't have to necessarily have to go to work every every day. Yeah. What what does financial success look like to you? Like at what point do you go, hey, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. And I don't have to go to work, but I want to. I, I choose to go to work because I like it, but I'm having fun now. Yeah. You need that, that stress of, am I going to be able to fix the car? Am I going to be able to pay the mortgage? Am I going to be able to buy gas? You know, things that you have to deal with when you don't have that financial security, uh, you know, and those things kind of fade away. So it literally, it, it liberates your mind and you start to think about, oh, what, what can I do uh, when there's no, you know, financial restriction? So, what does that look like to you? Like, what is that mo moment where you go, hmm, I'm going to do something different, you know, because I can? Well, I know the number in the stock market, a very comfortable no number is a half a million dollars. Mm. If I had a half a million dollars, probably less than that, but I know for sure that if I had a half a million dollars, I could quit my job and manage that money, even through a recession and a stock market crash, probably, um, and I would be okay. What would, what would you do? It, you don't have to work anymore. You just have half a million dollars. Create content. I would be I would be spending my time increasing the quality and the frequency and the quantity of of the work that I'm trying to do now. The last couple, uh, last six seven months, especially the two years, the the frequency of me being able to create content has been squelched out by 
being a, an elder in training in our church, and I didn't, I, I started to realize toward the, the end, the last six months especially, I wasn't able to get anything done. It just, it, it was like a mental roadblock because that occupied my mind so much. But um, uh, so since that has concluded, um, I, it just opened the door immediately. The day after it concluded, the next day I'm already writing. And then that weekend I'm already scheduling and producing uh, content. That I was able to record but I wasn't able, even as simple as it was, to just put it on there and, and I just couldn't do it. But anyway, yeah, that's what I would do. I would just, I like creating content. I would do more in the church, maybe with the maintenance and cutting the grass and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, uh, both the Bible, um, uh, economic philosophy when it comes to how to fix the problems in, the, in our country with with poor people and middle class and how, how do we organize society the most optimally um, and probably, uh, well, poetry as well. Oh, really? Poetry? Yeah. You yeah, write yeah. poetry? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for the longest time, most of my poetry was really bad. You know, it's like, I know this is bad, but every once in a while there's a really good one. But now I think I'm to the point where I can start writing about like if you took the whole volume I'm probably about half half of them are pretty good but the the quality seems to be going up but um, last when I came back from uh, family camp for the next three months I was just prolific just prolific and then it dropped off and I just need a little more inspiration what does inspire you a lot of different things have. For the longest time, I didn't have any what, of what I call shadow poetry or dark poetry. There's a lot. It's easy to do. I like a lot, a lot of people, they get in a dark place and they don't know how to express themselves other than in, in poetic terminology. And I, I didn't do that for the longest time. But I do have some of that. And, and it, it, really has, it really shows where you're at, you know, apathy or, or just kind of wondering what's going on. Um, but a lot of it was, well, when I first started in Afghanistan, a lot of it was just writing about, you know, uh, it's like romantic uh, stuff, just kind of pouring all of my, you know, wishing I was dating or whatever into mm -hmm. into the poetry, and I, I wrote a lot of, of like that. Um, but what inspires, there's there's the romantic stuff there, but life but I, I like philosophy. I like to wrap my philosophy up in a poem. I wrote one about the key to learning. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the summary of that is I, I reject the idea that repetition is the key to learning. Uh, yeah, that can be a part of it, revisitation. You can revisit. I mean, but you don't forget something that satisfies a curiosity. It's there forever. You don't have to repeat it all the time. You know, when I had uh, learned about the, um, when, when I was a kid, I wasn't a bright student, but I knew how many planets there were, what their names were, how far from the sun they were, how many moons they had. I knew all that. Why? Because that's, that's what I was into. I didn't have to repeat it to myself. I learned it, you know, and maybe I would check it, and, you know, but it wasn't like, okay, repeat, repeat, repeat. No, you got to satisfy the curiosity. And you got to follow your curiosity. When you're, when you're learning, don't 
spend your time learning about something you're not interested in mm -hmm. you know eventually you can get there but the more you learn the more there's going to be spaces like you know what i know all these things around there but there's this one spot that i need to fill in and then you're ready for that you know what name me a, a movie that you can watch over and over again every time you see it on tv you go you maybe you start watching it i think everybody has that movie and you just you know after a few minutes you realize oh i'm watching this movie now because i i it kind of talks to you. There's something that about it that just mm, this is just good. Do you have a movie like that? Uh, we we uh, it's our family tradition to watch. It's a Wonderful Life, mm -hmm. and we we just watched that. We finished that last night, mm. and I I actually watched it this year with new eyes because really? I heard Tom Woods talk about how it was written by communists and it's really making the capitalist rich guy out to be a, a meanie and you know why isn't there an alternative in this town uh, other than this other guy that has no sense when it comes to economics or business sense well when I watched it this time I thought man Tom Woods just ruined my uh, this this movie for me because it's so obviously there but it really is telling a story of two extremes the one extreme is this guy is following financial principles that are sound and right and correct, but he has no regard for people. He doesn't care if you are about to starve to death. If you can't give him collateral, he's not going to loan to you. But then you have this other guy that totally respect, disrespects the principles of finance, and he's constantly, every few years, in financial trouble. His dad was like that. Uh, and, and George Bailey is a little bit better, but he's, he's but he still ends up in in problems mostly toward the end because Potter does some he, he's pulling some strings and cap evil capitalist yeah so but the the story of George's dad is that you know and even George uh, does the same thing and, and that is he he is finessing the finances in order to. Uh, for the greater good. Um, but I think the answer, this, the story is these are two extremes. Mm -hmm. You have to respect finances, but you, you also have to respect the, the human value as well. You know? um, that's what I got out of it this last time. And, okay. and that's your, your go-to movie. That is also, I, I watch every year, uh, Elf. <laughs> with, uh, we watched, yeah, same here. Which is which is another interesting story in a completely different way because it's it, it's it's merging two realities, right? This this fantasy and this guy that doesn't belong in this fantasy world, mm -hmm. but he's there and they're dealing with him, and then he goes over to this other world with with the traditions and and and, and he's. Uh, soaked in all that other fantasy stuff in this other real world and now these people are dealing with him from a different angle like, he doesn't really belong there either. he doesn't belong there either yeah so he's kind of like this nut job but it, it's like but the, the the end of the story is kind of merging both of these worlds into something productive do you you, you know earlier you mentioned how you know when you were going through some rough times how you didn't know you know kind of didn't know where you belonged you know does that 
is maybe a subtext of that in that movie, the elf movie, is you can kind of relate to him because he's just basically trying to find his way. And he's a nice guy, but no, either nobody takes him seriously or they kind of, oh, what are you going to do? That's buddy. Or, uh, you know, his dad doesn't, his real dad doesn't want him. He's kind of stuck in that middle. Do you, is there something in that movie that goes, you know, I'm not an elf, obviously, but I kind of can relate to that. What's refreshing about that is that the elf character, Will Ferrell, in this thing is not trying to be normal. It's not, oh, I just wish I was like everybody else. You see all these movies over and over. Oh, I just want to be normal. I, stop it. Stop. That doesn't resonate with me at all. I don't want to be like all the losers out there living in, you know, whatever they've... Just being normal and, and not doing anything yeah. extraordinary. Now, I'm not... There's nothing against that. Not everybody can be extraordinary. And, and more power to them if they, they live a, a normal life and they go to, you know, work at the same place their whole life and retire and whatever. That's not what I want to be, you know. So he is who he is, and he does adapt himself to the world around him, but he's not trying to be normal. Mm-hmm. And I, and it, it works out Yeah. in that story uh, after some trouble. But they... Um, I guess there there is the Santa Claus thing that kind of there is a, a convergence in this fantasy world, of course, like all the Christmas movies with Santa Claus mm-hmm. in it, and of course you have to believe in him, and it's faith by sight, which is really not faith because mm-hmm. you you've seen it, right. so yeah. that's not believing. That's mm-hmm. uh, uh, validating your uh, that's uh, what is it? That's conf- confirming something mm-hmm. as evidence, which is a completely different thing. Uh, how did you meet your wife? Yeah, when I got cut from the uh, mission, I lived with my brother and Jenny at the same, around the same time, a couple of months before that. Uh, she decided uh, to take another job. She decided to actually resign from where she was, and she didn't know where to go. Where was she? Up in um, northern Michigan. And she, was she born there? No, she was born in uh, south... Western Michigan. Okay. So not not far. She could get the Chicago radio. We have some of the Chicago radio and TV in common because she, some of the commercials we grew up with in the same geographical area. Um, but because of the, there was a connection between her hometown and the principal there, and and she went and visited home, and there was word that she was a teacher, and they needed a teacher, so that it, it got connected. She ended up being. Uh, becoming the kindergarten teacher at the uh, Freedom Farm Christian School in Michigan. And, um, you know, I, I ended up, my sister was, my youngest sister was still going there. And my dad tells me, uh, once I get there, he's like, hey, uh, there's a new kindergarten teacher at the uh, school, and she's single, and she's about your age. And I told him, yeah, well, there's probably a reason why she's single in my age. So, I mean, what do you, you want? Were you not interested? No, I was like, I was envisioning an unattractive person mm-hmm. that, you know, in their late 20s. But see, I was I was in a place that where it's like projecting, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you're single mm-hmm. and my age, mm-hmm. but not for me. You know, I wasn't really like, it, it was like... You, you, had, you had the beam? I just yeah. had bad luck. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I just yeah. had bad luck. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an incredible individual with just a, a bad luck. Well, the truth is, is that I... 
I wasn't, I haven't been, I wasn't born with the salve, you know, of, you know, for, for the ladies. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot in college was uh, one or two dates and, and that was it. That was it. That's all I could get. Yeah. And couldn't get past the third date or second date or whatever. So when you met her, did you know, oh yeah, this is the person I'm going to marry? There was a turning point when I was definitely interested. Well, when the first time I, well, okay, so my dad's like, all right, you need to meet this girl. So my sister's going to college, or going to the high school there, and I had to pick her up. So I happened to see her. It just happened to be on a day where she had one day a week when she would watch and supervise the kids going to their parents, uh, getting picked up, right? So I walk up there, and I'm like, uh, hey, how's it going? Um, yeah, my my sister. Well, I don't know if that's exactly right, but it was basically hey. something like that. Hi, I'm, I'm Scott. Yeah, and, and, you know, and we greeted each other. And uh, by the way, she does not remember this at all, mm. which is the biggest impression that I made on her. Um, and I'm like, yeah, my sister goes here. I'm, I'm here to pick her up. And she's probably, she, I think she said, yeah, well, she's probably inside there, you know. In other words, stop talking to me. So, And I'm like, well, I tried. So I left there thinking, hey, Dad, you know, I honored you. I've tried to talk to this girl. Uh, she was not interested in, like, whatever, mm -hmm. you know. But then the Christmas thing came up. And I went there and... Um, I think it was before, yeah, before they started or whatever, she's talking to my dad, and she's just lit up. Her personality's coming out, right? Mm -hmm. She's not playing the part of a school marm up over there just trying to maintain discipline and stuff like mm -hmm. that. She is just uh, who she is and just kind of... And I saw that, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And so I'm standing there, they're like preparing the tables or something like that and I'm waiting for my dad to introduce me like he wanted to and and all this time she's thinking okay why is this creeper just kind of hanging out if, when I'm talking to this guy yeah. finally my dad introduces us and but she's just like that guy is so weird you know? <laughs> now did she tell you that's what she was thinking later later yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she's yeah. like this, this guy's so weird but um so yeah we had another uh, my my dad had a uh, I'm just checking the timer. My dad had um, invited a bunch of people over to the house to play games and stuff like that. And uh, she noticed that there's a bunch of people coming. All right, cool. So she, she goes, well, a lot of them backed out except for me, my brother, my sis. Basically, it was just like a one-on-one. -on -one. I still don't know if that was planned or not, but uh, that's how it turned out. And um, my dad said, okay, I'm going to send my son and... Uh, Anna Karen, which was a foreign exchange student, and, and my daughter to go pick you up. And the only son she knew my dad had was Sam. So when I show up there, she's like, oh no, there's this, that's the creeper that was, you know, whatever. And so she didn't know there was a connection. I, I don't know that the uh, timeline that those are switched up or whatever. But anyway, we, um, we, we went there and I, it was still, I found out she had, you know, they had chili or something like that, and she's allergic to tomatoes. And said, mm -hmm. oh, no, I'm allergic. And I'm just imagining this long list of allergies. I'm like, I'm going to put have to put up with that the rest of my life. Well, so at this point in time, you're already thinking of her as marriage material. Oh, I, it's always like that. Yeah. I'm always vetting this thing, yeah. you know. So this is, this is uh, there's no reason to just date for, for right. fun at this yeah. point. It's like, it, this is either, Lots of ticking. We're, we're either going to go forward or, or not. 
Um, the turning point was when uh, there was a, uh, a, a cello conference. When I asked her, though, we went to we went to the skating thing on New Year's, right? And uh, <laughs> I, I kind of had a date. There was a service, and then mm. then there was the skating thing. Well, like we go in the door, what like, and I paid for her thing, you know, or whatever. It's like two dollars or something ridiculously mm. low. And like she takes off and she's she's in a different direction and, and my mom's like trying to get us together and stuff like that and she just doesn't know what to do so but anyway after that um, the, I think there was the fourth date ish you know if you want to call it that um, we go to a cello conference actually the the, the reason why I brought that up is because after that I did ask her to the cello con conference because mm -hmm. I got a pamphlet it's C E L L O it's a cello right. I thought it must be different than a cello because there would be an H, H there. Yeah, yeah. She makes fun of me of that all the time. That's her favorite thing. She's, she's like, it was all I could do not to laugh right in front of you. Um, you know, like, and she's like, I think it's cello. And then we, we kind of like, no, no, it's a C, it's cello. You know? yeah. Or, or <laughs> cello. She's like, no, it's not. Um, so we go to that. And we had some difficulty coordinating because all we were were Facebook. We were on Facebook, right? And her internet wasn't working so well. It, it did end up working out. She got a, a, uh, a ride and stuff like that. But during the intermission, um, we talked about that. And she said, well, um, yeah, I've got a, a number you can call. I'm like, yes. I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's just good. Mm -hmm. You know, this, we're turning. The, she's, we're, I'm going to get her number. You know, that's, that's a, she's interested. Because she really played it well. She played mm -hmm. that game well because she wasn't like, disinterested but she wasn't just jumping at me you know mm -hmm. she wasn't like desperate or anything she was very and and that's what made her in interesting mm -hmm. you know and that's what, but after that turning point um we we ended up dating and dating and then we talked about the idea of marriage and all that and she expressed to me well i don't believe in long uh engagements mm -hmm. and and we're like in the summertime like or no we're we're in this the the end of this School year's winding down, right? It's like April or something. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and also, uh, there's no way I'm going to ever get married during a Christmas break. It's not happening. Like, well, so that, that leaves you very That tight. only leaves us a few months. Right. So I proposed to her, and we, so we met somewhere in December, but we didn't even start dating officially until February. Mm -hmm. I proposed in, um, May, and we got married just barely into August. Mm. So we had like a five-month engagement or, or three-month engagement or something like that. Yeah. It was very quick. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 mean you should go to prison if you're that bad, and 100, I'm sorry, 1 to 100, I'm sorry, 1 being really, really awful, and then 100 being just like Mr. Incredible, how would you grade yourself to this point at being a husband? Where would you put yourself? Much better than when we started. <laughs> so when we started, I, I knew like, I thought I would be a great husband. I just thought this is gonna. I'm just, I because I had this ideal right in mm -hmm. my head of how this whole thing's gonna turn out. And our first year of marriage wasn't bad, but there was some rough spots, you know, like, and and, um, but I, I realized uh, maybe the second year was uh, 
or, or middle between the first and second year, right, right in the middle, one year anniversary time, like, man, I, she deserves much better than this, you know. And so over the years, um, you know, I, and of course coming out of that whole, you know, being evicted, losing my lawn business, and just, I mean, there was a spiritual evaporation there that happened. I wasn't, I still went to church, um, but I just, I felt that inside. In fact, I, you know, when I visited the, the church when I was living with my sister, I went in there and I just felt like, I'm so dead inside spiritually, but I'm just going to keep going to church. So growing past that, really this two-year elder in training has really accelerated that. I mean, this is what I was hoping my first two years would be. So mm-hmm. when they say, you know, it takes longer to get back, uh, it does. Uh, when, when you, when you, you know, one, one thing that happened was I had a, you know, the, the read the Bible in a year and I was tracking it, right? Mm-hmm. Goal oriented, right? And this happened before I got, I was still living in with my, uh, adopted grandmother's uh, apartment up there and I lost that thing after like four or five months I lost it and I was like you know what God knows where that is I'm not worried about it I'm done I'm not going to try to do this anymore so I didn't read the Bible for a long time after that I was just like whatever you know and and part of the transition was like I already know what the Bible says I'm going to start reading these other things, you know, because I already know what this says and I can compare it to them. I don't need to read the Bible every day. That was, but uh, that was part of the, the degradation of, of, you know, who I was mm-hmm. and who I'd become. And um, so, yeah, so like uh, two years ago, I guess it would be our eight year. Um, yeah, we had, maybe there was a slow better anyway to, to answer your question probably I was 20% what I should have been when I started and today I feel like I'm I mean solid 25 yeah yeah <laughs> um of course you know I've got a conflict of interest but I, I feel like I'm at about 75-ish okay so room to grow yeah definitely uh, I but I, lately and I don't know if this is related to us getting a new house or something but I, my feelings toward her have been just like wow I just I'm falling in love again, you know. Really? Not that we didn't have anything before, but it's just like a rekindling out of nowhere. It's like, wow, I've got feelings for this one. Our 10th anniversary is coming up in August, you know. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but uh, oh, this whole experience of, you know, getting this new house uh, that's under contract, hopefully uh, we can close on it in time. And uh, I don't know if that's related, but I, I definitely have just really... Year ten is really good. Yeah, good. That, well, or at least really year nine is what we're in. It's, yeah, it's a really good year. Yeah, that it doesn't always go that way. Yeah, sometimes it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah, sometimes it starts off good, mm-hmm. and then you know ends uh, poorly. Um, if you could own any car, I think I already know the answer to this. Maybe not. Own, uh, Maybe not. All right, what would you own? Money's no object. Okay, um, definitely want a Model S. Okay. I think that would be our family car, and then I'd want a Cybertruck when it came out. Okay, a Model S or Model S Plaid? 
I don't know. Do I really need a plaid? I mean, no. No. I you don't. Know. There's. You don't need a model LS either. I think I wouldn't <laughs> want a model plaid for the same reason I wouldn't want a motorcycle, or especially a crotch rocket. Yeah. It just. I'm going to kill myself. You're going to kill models. yourself. Yeah. It's just going to happen. I just don't trust myself. In the business world, is there anyone you admire more than Elon Musk? No. I don't think anybody comes close. I mean, it, it was... Uh, I really didn't have anybody before Elon Musk in the business world. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was... Uh, yeah, all, all my heroes really are, are when it comes to the, the listening to books, were economists. You know, mm-hmm. Thomas Sowell, Milton Friedman, number mm-hmm. one on that. Um, currently listening to, uh, to Adam Smith's book. Um, but I'm, I'm more, more focused on the other uh, artificial intelligence thing when I, when I listen to it. But uh, no, Elon uh, is probably the smartest person on the planet. And I called that he would be the richest man in the world when he was way down on the list. I mean, go ahead and t- take your I'm top. To think. Yeah, I guess he is. He is the richest man. Oh, is there nobody? He's, he's number one. Is he number one? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm trying to think of anyone ahead of him. And I, I, I wrote that in a blog. I said, don't be surprised when uh, uh, Elon Musk is the, the richest person in the world uh, because it's only a matter of time. I have that documented. And, and he was, you know, he was still a billionaire, but. Yeah, go no, ahead and like take your pick yeah. of the top 50 people and tell me which one's going to be number one. And that happened within like 12, 18 months. Do, like do you think that he'll be the world's, world's first trillionaire? Probably with SpaceX. I don't know if he's going to live long enough to monetize uh, the resources that are out, to, out there. Mm-hmm. But at, at some point, you know, we're, we are we have the potential of unbelievable wealth because you think about it, automation can make the resources and services almost free, mm-hmm. nearly free, automation can, robots, whatever. But then you still have the problem of there are some resources that are scarce, maybe gold, silver, whatever, diamond, I don't know. They some finite. Say, finite, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you drag an asteroid that has a bunch of gold toward, and then all you have to do is descend, and you got these rockets that are you know make the fuel cheap, and you could just drag tons of gold, literally tons of gold back down, or whatever, mm-hmm. on obtainium or whatever they need. Yeah. And, and you've just neutralized um, the finality of, of resources. I think there's going to be like, there's got to be some kind of, like God likes to reset things every once in a while. And at, at some point, he might be like, all right, this is too easy. Reset, we're going to start back over again or something. We need to go through more hardship. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be like something that's going to be good. We have the potential to, but then you, you've got the political process and, and the socialism and all that can, that can screw it up. Oh, yeah. You know? Which has many times before. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Almost out of time. Got about one minute left. Uh, thoughts, politics. Coming up, we're beginning of 2022. We have the 2022 midterm elections coming up in November. Uh, so far, the economy um, ain't doing that great. Uh, there are pockets of the country, the South, you know, uh, you know, that are doing pretty good. Um, it's not the worst it's ever been, but it's kind of, uh, kind of been in a bit of malaise, so to speak. What are your predictions for the November elections as far as? 
uh, control parties, what have you? Wait, it sounds like they're going to get the House. I haven't done a deep dive. but Talk about the Republicans? Yeah, yeah. The House doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem at all. The Senate, according to Ted Cruz, he's kind of the expert on that. He thinks the Senate's going to be much harder to really gain a lot mm-hmm. because there's so many seats that the Republicans are defending. Mm-hmm. So, But honestly, all they got to do is take the, the House. And, but more importantly, the economy is where I'm, I'm, I'm strong on. And what I would say is that you know, with the inflation going up, if the inflation is sustained for long enough to where interest rates have to go up with or without the Fed, it just has to mm-hmm. happen because they can't borrow for free and then lose 7% value. That's, mm-hmm. you know, because they're going to have to pay it back anyway. So they have to adjust for that. If that happens, there's going to be some kind of recession. And, and that, who knows what that timeline is? But we're running out of time, and if that happens just right, Trump all, all he's got to do is be like, "Look, um, I left. We we had a great. I spent three years building a great economy. The last year they told me to shut it down, and then Biden completely devastated. Now we're in a recession. You guys need me now. I mean, it would be the perfect setup, you know. But that's assuming that these other uh, shenanigans that they did, whether they were legally done or illegally done, or fraudulently, whatever, um, are resolved, which I'm kind of optimistic mm-hmm. that they would be. But, you know, it's funny. We're going we're gonna to live in two different worlds. One, there was definitely election fraud, and then another world where no election fraud ever took place. And we're not going to be able to prove one way or another, possibly, mm-hmm. unless there's a, a revealing. Right. Well, I had a good time. I think this was a good interview. How do you think you did Hopefully I was coherent, and uh, I think I, I held it together yeah. well with the thought process. I hope I asked some good questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wrote down some stuff, and you just did this off the top of your head, so yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to do the same. <laughs> I've got them written down. Well, I'm looking forward to my turn. Yeah, here All we right. go. Awesome.